Welcome to the Theology Ki Baat podcast, where Christian theologians and Bible scholars talk about issues from India and how we as Indian Christians can engage these issues through biblical and theological reflection. Theology Ki Baat is a podcast by the faculty of the Evangelical Theological Seminary of the Asian Christian Academy of India and ACA Media. You can learn more about ETS at www.ets-india.org and about the other ministries of ACA at www.acaindia.org. Well, welcome to this next edition of Theology Ki Baath. I'm Dr. Stephen George here with Dr. Saji Thomas. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of divorce and remarriage and uh, with some focus on issues in India but more importantly the the ground for our discussion is the scripture and trying to explore what does the scripture tell us about this difficult topic of divorce and remarriage and it is uh, a topic on which many uh, orthodox evangelical believers have different opinions so a difference of, of view on this is not uh, a matter of difference in very fundamental doctrine, but it is important in the sense that this is something that needs to be dealt with. Anyone who deals with issues in the church knows that there are going to be difficulties with some marriages, and yes. this issue is going to come up. Yes. So we think that it's important to have believers, especially in India, think through mm. what are the biblical concepts and frameworks and theological issues that first undergird this as they go into it and then practically what are some of the approaches that churches and church leaders mm -hmm. can take mm -hmm. while engaging with this so first what we want to do is kind of talk about divorce and remarriage generally in India yeah. uh, then we want to go into the scriptures and then we want to talk about things pastorally how do we Yes. you know, go about this. So let's look at the issue of divorce and remarriage in India and kind of off the top say that actually statistically India is one of the lowest hmm. in divorce hmm. in the world. In fact, I think the highest is Luxembourg. I was shocked to see it was 87%. Seriously. 87%, yeah. United States was always talked about being very high, 45%. But 87%, I was like, oh, I never thought it was that high. So India is the lowest in, in the world. But I think there are some, some caveats to that. Mm -hmm. One, um, a lot of marriages apparently in India are not registered. So there is a case where, you know, if the marriages aren't registered, even the divorces aren't. And I was just talking to a young man who grew up in our institution, was raised here, but he came from a home where his uh, father left the home, his mother was left alone, and they didn't officially get divorced, they just left, and mm. he remarried, and the mm. mother remarried. And mm. there was, again, a lot of the marriages were never registered, they just got married and had children. Now, where this becomes an issue, I see, is when uh, the father or mother die and there's land involved. Yes. And then you have all these children claiming, you know, paternity and yes. and nothing's been registered. So that's where you have a lot of issues. And I'm talking, again, this is probably more rural uh, right. places. Um, but that's also one thing to keep in mind, that mm. the statistics, and again, anything in India, particularly statistics are always very <laughs> questionable in <laughs> terms of how much are we actually measuring. Right. But that's right. one thing that... Uh, a lot of marriages are not uh, registered. Mm. On the other hand, India is very strong about getting married. I mean, it's... it's marriage almost, is a big issue. Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's big, big, built in. Big given. Yeah, yeah, you are getting married. The yeah. question of you not getting married is not there. <laughs> so uh, non-marriage or being single is, uh, again, by choice or by, you know, you, um, your family. And your again, in India, because we are... Uh, so tied to our families, yeah. uh, our families will definitely put a lot of pressure to ensure that we right. get married or right. somebody right. gets married. And if you're past a certain age, <laughs> they'll hound you until you until you get married. However, while it is the lowest, apparently in the past um, 20 years, the rate has doubled. Mm. 
mm. in terms of, of divorce. divorce right? So in Bangalore, there used to be only two family courts in the city. Now we're about six or seven. So the volume wow. has gone up yeah. that much. Wow. So I think I think it's that's the backdrop which yeah. we're seeing it. It's not yeah. that suddenly we're going from 1% to 50%. Right. right. But we're seeing a bigger number than we have seen before. Enough mm. for us to say, you know, 20 years ago, we would say, oh, that's a, a Western problem. Mm. We don't mm. really mm. have that issue. But that's not the case. Yes. In the sense, it's yes. becoming an issue. And mm. um, church leaders are, you know, <clears throat> trying to figure out what's the best way to, to deal right. with this. Do right. we, uh, you know, have one answer to fits all. Right. Um, the scriptures have some things to say, but the more you delve into it, the more complicated mm. it can get. Yeah. So there are there are some difficulties. On the other hand, also we have to see that you know just because there's low divorce, does that mean there's high mm. satisfaction? Right. Right. And, In marriage. And that's not necessarily the case. I mean, it it's not that they aren't, mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that low divorce means successful or healthy or happy Marriage. marriages. In fact, um, the National Crime Bureau records that uh, housewives are one of the largest groups of, for people with suicides. And um, 17% of all suicides are housewives. That's right. So there is an underlying, um, there's a lot of issues just mm. because divorce doesn't happen doesn't mean that there aren't troubles and issues. And I think those are also issues mm. we want to talk about. We don't want to talk about divorce. At the, at the moment we're talking about divorce, we're talking about a point of almost no return because at that point, either one of the parties has given up. Right. And right. and uh, maybe, and this might be another discussion and, altogether. And leaving um, no chance for reconciliation right. once that's done. Once that's done. And, yeah. and so that might be Maybe another part of our discussion is, well, okay, we talked about divorce and remarriage. Maybe we yeah. need to also talk about, well, what are the things to look for yeah. to not get to that point? Right, right, right. Uh, but with, but another issue is a lot of times the problems comes to pastors and leaders only at the very end. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. and counselors too. They're right. called in when everything is broken down. Right, right. Not when there's something that they can fix. Yeah. Yeah. And because, again, part of it is, um, you know, the... the the fear of shame and, you know, don't want to talk about this publicly and when you're yeah. struggling, you, you try to see if we can figure it out until it's really bad. Yeah. And at that point, it's hard. And I, I think, you know, th this is something when we talk about the practical side of things, we can uh, revisit what, uh, what you just stated is uh, critical because a lot of people are uh, ill-informed or immature, I want to say, mm. or unspiritual when it thinks when they think about uh, the role of the church, what the church can do in helping them, mm. uh, you know, strengthen their marriage and not have to go in the direction of separation or you know even divorce. Yeah. So, and I think maybe, and this may come up later, but the culture of the church, you know, the concept of grace, right. the grace right. as we practice throughout. And if they feel that um, this is going to be viewed more judgmentally, yeah. uh, then they're less likely to come for help yeah. than, than when it's too late. Right. So that's, that's one of the things. Now, uh, I was reading some articles about what are some of the reasons that uh, have been the reasons for the increase in divorce, which is, again, a small amount. Okay. Within uh, India? Again? Within India. Yeah. Again, I don't have numbers to say Christians versus non-Christians. Right. We don't have anything of that sort. Right. All we can tell is anecdotally and things that we hear from yes. people from other churches, they come and tell us and say, hey, you know, divorce is becoming an issue. You know, we need to address this. Um, but there are some, that one article um, in the Daisy Blitz kind of gave about six or seven um, uh, reasons and the first one, the interesting they gave was the independence of the Indian woman hmm. uh, and the fact that, you know, and this goes back to where many women who maybe have been in, uh, are uh, under distress and depressed and maybe suicidal, they are looking to divorce as a way of uh, getting freedom out of that. Yeah. And because they are economically more independent, if they have jobs and right. those kinds of things, right. then they feel that's more a likely case. But I don't know if you can call that a reason for it. It's maybe it may be a reason why they are now choosing it versus you know staying in it or yeah. or not yeah. staying in they, it. They are empowered now, yeah, so that they can go 
and uh, independent of their husbands of their husbands yeah. earlier times that may not have been uh, something that they would consider because they were so dependent on the husband and the extended family right right so that's that's one of the i guess social conditions that possibly yeah. changing it the other ones are all reasons that we've already heard like breakdown in communication yes in marriage where a husband and wife are not really communicating what the problems are or they're being indirect and letting things boil and things get to a point to where you know they just and have this bitterness right um and the hard heartedness that Jesus talks about you yes. know in Matthew 20 in Matthew 19 right. is because the hardness of the heart and hardness of the heart can happen yes when people are miscommunicating or not communicating yeah. or uh, or just self-willed i mean yeah, yeah. and and you're is. you're expecting someone to understand you but you're not doing the effort of trying to yeah see what the problem is so that's one of course there's the the cheating and affairs um that's of course an obvious one sexual problems in marriage um where uh one may be denying the other person mm. or um there's just difficulties mm. lack of interest again complex right. problems that right. can be there problems with in-laws mm. i think this is probably uniquely indian one right <laughs> <laughs> where you know the coming from a joint family system even if you're not joint family your fa- in-laws are yeah. can be potentially yeah. very you know, to a large extent i think we are still um broadly uh, still continuing the joint family concept mm. because uh we we hardly make uh decisions based on only the nuclear family right uh, because we are answerable answerable to our parents our yeah. siblings and so even though uh, we might be uh physically removed from our parents so we don't live in this large complex with our you know parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts uh some of those we have seen yeah. um you know uh, but uh we have moved from that concept to independently living but we still are connected very much yeah. uh, deeply rooted in everyone has a say in yeah. <laughs> what we do so yeah. and i think that complex matrix it makes things that creates its own uh, complexity right of understanding you know the decision making you know when we're making these decisions um and also you know when the is is the discussion between the husband and wife or now it's now involving the in-laws and yeah. you know uh do i give deference how do i give respect to my parents right right but at the same time you know acknowledge the dynamic of the husband wife relationship yeah. or another uh, uh an aside note is uh, and that's something that we need to sometime be thinking about churches need to be thinking about is uh, widows or widowers mm. and many times even though the widow or the widower uh, would prefer to get married again uh, that consideration is often not given a thought because the pressure of the extended family yeah. because the extended family would misinterpret uh, th- that desire to be married again mm. as being lascivious mm. okay <laughs> uh, and and so you are uh, even though you are living in the city away from your rural roots you you are still under that pressure and so mm. you, you know I, i know actual cases where uh, they don't have the freedom to take that choice mm. okay so and then there are the other ones are um other reasons are sham marriages you know and i think there's this new hindi movie called uh, badai do where okay. a uh, lesbian and a homosexual marry to cover up their uh, homosexuality and that this is quite common actually mm. in a lot of places mm. where um to fulfill society's obligations they have these kinds of marriages but so, uh, actually living in other relationships other relationships but for social purposes they're married and yeah. but um privately they are really living yeah. other lives uh, then there's of course the others the addictions and abuse these mm. are kind of the common reasons that yeah. this article kind of is abuse listed. mentioned as one of the last yeah abuse is mentioned as one of the last it's interesting yeah now it does they have not necessarily ranked it in order of okay 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 of okay. um okay, importance okay. but i think they may have ranked it in importance of things that might be interesting for the reader to keep reading so right, right, i don't right, think right, they right. they ranked it in particular okay okay, okay. yeah, yeah. because otherwise i would be surprised that that is the last that is the last yeah and that's something that as we'll talk more about that's something that we need to think about because yes. Yes. that is a serious issue yeah does the bible address that address issue? that issue yeah. how do we talk about that for mm-hmm. a husband and wife mm-hmm. now indian law 
is kind of divided according to religion. Now, there's a divorce act for Hindus, for Muslims, for Parsis. But the Christians come under the general right. uh, <clears throat> divorce law. And so under that, there are about um, seven grounds for divorce. divorce. So we okay. don't have... Like in the West, they don't. We don't have uh, the no-fault divorce, hmm. right? We have to establish. We have to have a period of separation. Yes. And unless both parties are willing for yes. the divorce, yes. the it is now important to prove on what grounds can you find divorce. And so right, right. that's why nowadays we're reading more and more articles in the paper about yeah. now the Supreme Court thinking. Yeah. Does this count as a grounds for divorce? You know, right. some very, you know, very unique situations. Yeah. For example. Um, the the impotence of the of the husband, right, you know, right. he is physically unable to, yeah. but he's not unwilling. Yeah. So does that constitute? Mm, so these are mm. again more and more scenarios because right. each spouse, as more and more divorces come, right. they'll have to establish. So the grounds are one adultery, conversion to another religion, mm. which is again, um, I guess, interesting in the context of a lot of these anti-conversion bills. But this right. is again an older act, right. Right. much older. And also considering that these divorce and marriage acts are defined by religion, right? It's interesting that that's one of the possible grounds for for divorce. Mm. One of the couples suffering from an unsound, unsound mind, mm. leprosy, or a communicable venereal disease for at least two years before the filing of the divorce. Mm. Now, again, this act was made in 1869, so I guess some of that is also, you know, in view. Not had been seen or heard alive for a period of seven or more years. Yes. Yes. Failure in observing the restitution of conjugal rights for at least two years. Yes. Inflicting cruelty and giving rise to mental anxiety that can be injurious to life, health and life. And a wife can file divorce based on the grounds of rape, sodomy or bestiality. So mm. these are kind of the legal grounds. Right, right. But of course, as Christians, we're concerned primarily with the biblical grounds yes. uh, for such uh, divorce if it's there. Mm. And then if divorce is there, is there a possibility of, of remarriage, right? So let's look at the scripture from mm. the beginning. Maybe sure. let's look at uh, the design of marriage. What, yeah. what do you see as you define it? If you were to define it, as you talk, we talked about counseling, right. the define right. the design, the purpose of right. marriage. Right. Yeah, and, um, you know, hi there again. Um, it's good to be uh, back on this topic. I mean, we are still... One more uh, podcast on the topic of marriage. We began with, uh, uh, you know, uh, engagement. I'm sorry. Um, we began with the uh, arranged marriage. dated or arranged, arranged marriage. marriage. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, premarital counseling. And then uh, this, the third one. Uh, we hope we can move on to another topic <laughs> in the ne next podcast. But uh, this is uh, both a scary topic uh, and at, at the same time, somebody need to be talking about it. Uh, I was just sharing that we are doing this podcast with someone and they were saying, oh, this is such a needed topic because many times um, uh, our evangelical, conservative evangelical Christians are afraid to talk about this topic right. uh, because it is dicey, it is divisive. Uh, there are situations where uh, I know of a situation where the church was divided. Uh, that's probably not typical. Uh, that's probably typical of how uh, uh, some elders might prefer uh, to stand with one party uh, that desires divorce, mm. while the rest may not. Mm. You know. Uh, so th this is this is. Uh, we don't have easy answers mm. to particular life situations, but we want to have a framework uh, of thinking through this in in the scripture. And I think that's that's an interesting point because I think then churches need to be proactive about some kind of a policy. This is, doesn't come under doctrine. Right, right, right. Uh, this is not a part of our you know, doctrinal position, but yeah. they need to have an approach of how do we generally as elders and pastors, how do we approach this problem right. if we're confronted? Because if you don't, and then you're trying to figure it out at, at the moment of an of a actual case, right, right. then the 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 bias of the case yes. can affect our you know thinking about what is the the right way of doing it right. rather than having some um, some thought to it before we are actually encountering it yeah. so i think that's again Im important wisdom for many churches again it's yeah. hoping that this doesn't just grow into be something that's right. normal right. Um, the um, it's it's not healthy to have uh, unhealthy marriages 
and therefore the other but the other side of that is not to be encouraging uh, divorce rampant divorce yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we were, we're trying to think through something yeah. but this is something that we can't avoid we could we could have avoided 20 years ago <laughs> yeah. because uh, there's a good chance you could go through your ministry without yeah. too many of these yeah. uh, i think uh, having a biblical framework and uh, familiarity with each of the biblical passages and mm-hmm. what they actually teach now uh, one may Uh, keep growing in their understanding pastors and churches may keep growing in their understanding of what the text might mean but to have worked through that uh, the reason for that is many times what happens is people wait till the last minute to inform that this is taking place in their marriage and then the church puts its foot down and says this is our policy mm. without actually having the opportunity to work with them through the scriptures mm-hmm. and so they don't know where the pastors are coming from right. or what the policy uh, of the churches or why that policy is there uh, and then it is all you know uh, judgmental uh, responses and criticism many times i know uh, churches are being criticized for being hypocritical mm. uh, and i think the fault is at both ends also because they haven't worked with the pastors and the pastors haven't taken the time yeah. to work them through the scriptures and you know say okay let's understand what the bible is saying so i think just getting started on this conversation at least we really hope that it will encourage many pastors to look at these passages and see they, you don't have to listen or take our view of these things but right. you know hear us out and look through these texts um so that you uh have formulated a framework of how to think through this issue here. right okay So as we look at marriage, you know, when we do go back to Genesis 2 and again as I think about Genesis 2, I also think about Ephesians 5 because mm. Paul gives um a grand theological interpretation because he says this is a mystery, yeah. especially as the marriage relates to the church and he says that wasn't that wasn't understood right. at the beginning. But that was the design of God. Right. And as we look back at that even Jesus goes back again to Genesis 2 Genesis 2 yes and argues for the design of God mm. that it was meant for one man yeah and one woman though in the old testament <laughs> polygamy they were silent about it right right but they the Jesus says that was not the plan right it was in a sense like divorce yeah it was allowed yeah or it was you know not much was said about it and therefore divorce neither divorce nor polygamy right are the right. plan of god and even more so polygamy becomes yeah, more yeah it's interesting in matthew uh, jesus actually uh, answers a question that they did not ask right yeah <laughs> in matthew 19 you yes. know uh, about polygamy yeah and jesus adds that word clarify what was not very clear in genesis uh, 2 uh, 24 they shall become one flesh mm-hmm. and the they Jesus does not leave it open ended for plurality, plurality yeah. of partners in the marriage. Yeah. He says the two, the two, one husband, one wife, yeah. the two shall become one flesh. Yeah. And when we look at even what Paul's saying here, you know, he says in chapter 5, uh he talk goes back to um quotation from Genesis 2 for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And he says in verse 32 this mystery is great but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church only you also each one of you must thus love his own wife as himself and wife must respect her husband hmm. and the the what Paul is looking at understanding is that the the design of the institution of marriage is very much telling the story of the gospel hmm. that God created the institution of marriage as a prophetic institution right. to tell the story that Paul now sees clearly in Christ as was a mystery but now has been revealed right. in Christ and now as Christians more especially why the one man one woman ethic uh, or is foundational right. is because it tells this gospel story multiple partners don't tell this don't tell, don't the, tell the story yeah it's not a perfect picture yeah, it's not a correct picture yeah it's not a correct of, picture it's foundationally yeah. fundamentally yeah uh, and the same thing can be talked about in terms of uh, homosexual marriage it's right. not telling this gospel story yeah. of what god's design was so the design is about one man one woman becoming one flesh and therefore if that's the case a christian marriage 
is to tell the gospel story but lived out mm. in the marriage. The husband takes on the quote-unquote role yeah. of Christ and the wife takes on the role of the church. And the relationship and the reason that there is a submission, for example, of wife to husband right. is to model this, to right. tell this. Yeah. It is not a question of uh, the anything lesser in the wife or right. woman. But it is part of a bigger story, part of a bigger agenda, part yeah. of something yeah. more grand. Yes. And this is also the reason why Jesus says when we're in heaven, we're not married. Right. Because mm. this is a sign pointing to the great wedding. And therefore, once you're there, yes. you don't need this anymore. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need this yeah. to point to that. Right. And as long as you're here doing this, yes. this has to tell that particular yeah. story. Yeah. So even though it's uh, it's not a mystical sense, uh, uh, but uh, the the real wedding uh, is that the people of God are with God mm. in uh, sweet, uninhibited, unhindered communion yeah. between God, you know, between God, the Triune God, and His people. Right. And so, marriage is a picture and. Um, Christian marriages ought to, you know, uh, reflect that. Reflect that in every reality. Right. Yeah. And even non-Christian marriages are still honored and kept. And even as right. we will oh, see, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, even when Paul talks about it, even if you were married, right, as unbelievers, right, it's still a marriage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. as Christians, though, now we have a, an, an understanding of the mystery, right, that this is now meant to tell the gospel story. Yes. And therefore, we have a greater obligation to this institution and its health and what this this marriage tells. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, in that context, divorce becomes a, a big, big problem. Right, right. Uh, if I can just backtrack a little bit on, you know, uh, what you just said, that marriages uh, outside the church or non-Christian marriages are as biblical uh, marriages, uh, I think is very important because... Uh, some people, at least, have uh, contemplated the possibility. I don't, I, I don't know personally any story where they have actually taken the step to dissolve their marriage because the previous marriage, yeah, their own marriage, was not a Christian marriage, quote unquote. Right. It was not conducted in the church. They were maybe non Christians before, and then they became believers. And, um, you know, so uh, they we, need to realize that the wedding before was as good. Uh, uh, marriage um, relationship in the eyes of God. And the church needs to also respect that. The church should not have a uh, uh, second or a lower view of people who have been married before they became Christians. You understand what I'm trying right, to get right. it? Because yeah. it's very possible that those who had a church wedding, church wedding. Right, okay. are somehow a superior <laughs> yeah. wedding or that their marriage is superior because they had the blessing of the church and the wedding before that was not. Right. Uh, which is one reason why in some contexts people uh, who run away uh, and enter into relationship and then later they want to have a church wedding in mm. order to legitimize uh, or you know get the divine blessings yeah. <laughs> as if the church wedding will do something uh, of that sort. Well, it's interesting because you know one of the... Um, issues some of our students from the Northeast have mentioned is the issue of holy matrimony. Right. Because right. Um, they, the context is they don't want to have an expensive wedding. Mm. So what they do is they elope, yeah. but then they want to come back and have a church wedding because that's considered holy matrimony. Right. Because there is a categorization that the church wedding is the real wedding. And so they avoid the, the the expensive wedding, but they try to get the church wedding right. after the elopement. Yes, Again, yes. it's still complicated in terms of we'd <laughs> yes. have to have one of them kind of explain that to us. But there is a sense, therefore, you know, the church wedding gives us a little more legitimacy right. than mm -hmm. others. Though I was thinking also about the Ezra situation where, yeah. you know, he told those who had married uh, Gentiles to divorce them. And, you know, that is a complex situation. Was that really... Um, the best way to deal with it. Right, right. Um, and in, in that situation, again, the scriptures just describe what they did right, in terms right. as a response to 
not falling back yes. into the same patterns of behavior that got them into the exile in the first Indeed. place. Yes, yes. And that was that was Ezra's main concern. Yeah. And they you know, he tried to get them back to the law. But was it the best option to, um, was it the best approach to yeah. ask was, them to divorce? Was that the only way to deal with to the To deal with the situation? Yeah, it, Again, the scriptures don't, Tell us because he's telling the story, right? And he's and he's repeating it that way. And so, how do we? Uh, well, at least this much we know that the point of the text was to bring the people of God uh, into a spiritual renewal, revival mm-hmm. in their allegiance to God. And these marriages were uh, detrimental, uh, were right. detrimental to their covenantal relationship, covenantal relationship. With, with God. So the other thing is again, if you look at then Paul's view of that, would be you know you. Who knows whether you will be able to bring them right, into the right. faith? If you're already married, yeah. if they want to stay, let them stay. So, yeah. uh, Paul's view would probably be like, no, I don't think Ezra's way of doing it may have been right. Again, uh, although on the uh, on the other hand, in Paul's case, First Corinthians seven, uh, the the believer does not have that choice. Right, the believer yeah, the doesn't, believer does not doesn't have, have the, the choice. The the Unbeliever has the unbeliever. The so in this yeah. case, it would be if Ezra is the the analogy. Right. He would definitely not be the one to tell them to. Right. Them, but right, if they right. wanted oh, okay, to go, yeah. yes, yes, they would you know be able to go. Right. Which was what he was trying to you know yeah. implement. Yeah. So it's interesting to to see the, again going back to the point of even non-believers' marriages mm. uh, because we go back to creation itself. This was yeah. part of creation. This was the the mandate for all human beings. Right. Therefore. Even if it is a non-Christian marriage, yeah. the principles the, the the goes back to creation, back back to its origins, right. and we honor those marriages because it goes back to an, a common origin that we all had. Right now, where things have changed, and of course, you know, the gospel gets us a very different understanding right. of what this right. what this marriage yeah. is. Yeah. So, with that, then we have to now think about if. You know, marriage has been a design of God that it is till death do us part, and that has been the design. And divorce doesn't is not part of that design. Right. Therefore, how do we understand uh, divorce? Um, maybe let's look at some Old Testament mm-hmm. passages where uh, there is some discussion yes. of of this divorce. Yeah. You know. David Instant Brewer has an interesting book on divorce and remarriage. He has two books, one dealing with uh, more the, the biblical stuff, yeah the, yeah, the biblical study side of it, and one for more pastoral. But he, there's a lot of overlap right, between right. both of them because right. they both deal with the biblical text. And what he tries to argue from uh, the historical background, starting with the ancient Near East, is what that the, the, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, was... Um, more generous, mm. especially for women, with regards to divorce and remarriage. Uh, in the old, in the ancient Near East, uh, a man could leave his wife and abandon them, and he could come at any point and actually take her back. And so, in, again, in that context where the economic security, the uh, overall security of a woman was tied to being married, now when he left her. She would probably end up trying to get married to somebody else, but then he would have the right to go back and claim her. And therefore, whatever children she may have had from that second marriage, again, would go to the original husband because he had technically never divorced her. So she had no recourse. There is one Middle Assyrian law which he quotes where he says, if they've been gone for five years, then they're free. But the, the Old Testament law pretty much says, well, if the husband is dismissing his wife, he has to give her the certificate of divorce. And so the passage that comes into play here is Deuteronomy 24. And here it is where he's trying, where the, the where Moses is telling them that if he finds something objectionable, now um, we'll talk about maybe what those words and how they were debated, but he finds something objectionable, he writes her a letter of divorce, he puts it in her hand, and sends her away. So she has to leave with this document. So that, and that's why it says if she goes and then remarries, and then that second husband either dies or divorces, she cannot come back to the first husband. Now it's seemingly an odd law. Why would God not want them to be reconciled? Well, apparently what, again, in the context there, it's that that first husband can't come back and try to claim two 
inheritance or two dowries. Mm. Uh, the other background he gives is that in a in in the marriage back then, there was a bride price that the husband would pay to the father of the bride, but there was also a dowry that was her inheritance given to the wife. And as long as she kept her vows, she was entitled to that. And if there was a breakdown of divorce, if it was not her fault, hmm. she gets all the dowry. But if it is her fault, some of that dowry is lost and given to the husband okay. in the divorce. Yes. So that's the yes. that's one of the contexts. So in this context, what he argues, David Instone Brewer argues, is that that the the reason that this divorce certificate is necessary was in that context, they would have no other legal recourse to remarry. If they didn't have that certificate, they would not be able to remarry. So therefore, this is necessary and also protects um, the woman from being claimed by the first husband and all her property that she may have acquired from, say, a second husband who would have either divorced or would have died and try to now claim that because he says he's originally right. married. Yeah, Something uh, I was just thinking about that situation is this is Deuteronomy and the people of God are going to enter into the promised land. Now, when Moses talks about the distribution of the land, for example, and um, uh, and so in a marriage, the daughter does not get an inheritance from her father. Uh, her inheritance really is her husband's inheritance. Mm. And so she moves into his tribal area into his territory, you know, it's agrarian for the most part. And so uh, if the husband abandons her, mm -hmm. deserts her, then she actually will be the inheritor of that property. Wouldn't, would it, or am I reading too much into the text? So uh, that he comes back in and this, claims... In this, you're only 24? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so say that again. You're saying that... Now, I know Brewer doesn't talk about that. Right, Bre right. Brewer doesn't. I'm just thinking in the larger scheme of okay. the distribution of the land. Yeah. A daughter does not get uh dowry, her I mean her inheritance, because she goes to the husband's family, right? Right. right. Uh, she can't take her land, piece of land and go. But unless but, that dowry which was given was in a sense a de facto, de facto inheritance in her, given okay. as the dowry right. when she goes and she still has right to that wealth as yeah. it is. Yeah. In case there is a divorce, she has rights and claims to that right. depending on the um, the nature of the divorce. Okay. Now, okay. where that he goes to um, other divorce documents of that time, right. Right. Uh, and he also goes to other rabbinic um, first century right. documents, right. Right. which talk about how they calculate a penalty based on the level of of guilt or the level of um, how much you should keep. Are you at fault? Right. Who's right. at fault at this particular one? And if right. you are at fault, you do lose some of it or yes. possibly all of it hmm. if it is a major uh, infraction. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, if it was adultery, you would be you'd be stoned. But in this case, it says he finds something objectionable. Maybe he might have even a doubt, maybe not enough to accuse yeah, the, her the of adultery. The actual word is indecency, at least in the ESV. ESV. And okay. um, uh, the Hebrew verb uh, is nakedness, the matter of nakedness. And again, you know, we'll come to Matthew 19 where we can uh, look at how uh, the debate was, uh, you know, between the rabbinic schools. But right. uh, uh, coming back to Deuteronomy 24 context, what you're saying is, according to Brewer, there's enough engineering and text that shows that husbands could come back and reclaim the wife that they had abandoned, but Moses made a difference. Made a difference. Moses made a relief for the wife who was abandoned, so that she is now free with the certificate. Right. So that she can, um, one, she doesn't have to part with whatever inheritance she has. It won't be reclaimed by the husband. First husband. And right. that maybe she could even remarry. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Well, and that's the implication. Again, what he also says is that. The laws are similar to the ancient Near East, but they're actually much more, uh, they're better for the woman in the Old Testament right. comparatively. The one thing that isn't there in the ancient Near East that is only there in the Pentateuch is the certificate of divorce. Okay. And that's what makes it very different. Right. The fact that she has a legal document right. that he, she has to be given. Yeah. If she is to be sent out, then she can't be sent out yeah. without, without that. And all the... 
divorce certificates uh, among the Israelites that uh, they have found has this clause, free to marry. Yeah. I mean, free to remarry. Free to remarry, right? Right, yeah. right. That's seemingly the, the standard language for all of the divorce documents, not just the ancient, but even the Greco-Roman uh, right. documents that right. Right. he mentions. So he, and given in this 24, the understanding is that, you know, she gets the divorce right. and she remarries. So right. there's no indication that that's a problem. Right. The problem right. is now she comes back. Right. Right. So in this case, it seems that once that certificate of divorce is given, right. the re- remarriage is legitimate. So divorce implies the freedom right. to remarry. And again, as we're looking at the Old Testament, that seems to be the case. And even from the background of old, the Old Testament period, ancient Near East, that seems to be the case. Mm. If you are divorced, if mm. there was divorce, there is implied in that. You're no longer yes. bound to any of the conditions you're now free to, to right. be married. Right. So that's now an interesting point because our question here topic is divorce and remarriage. You know, right. if you are divorced, right. can you remarry? At least in the Old Testament sense, yeah. um, they could. Uh, and it was in fact assumed mm. that was the case. Now he also mentions that uh, in the first century Judaism, in fact, it was required or for most Jews, it was required that they have to get married. And the Roman law says you cannot be unmarried for more than 18 months mm. after a divorce. You'd be, you'd be violating the law right. in right. a sense. Yeah. Now, again, yeah. that's not to say that therefore that makes it legitimate, but that seemed to be the understanding throughout that divorce imply that freedom to remarry. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, you know, if you can stay as you are, that's better. Right, right. Um, and we'll probably get to that, right, that right, passage right. later. Yeah, yeah. But, but that seems to be the case that divorce implies now you're no longer bound, which means you can get remarried, at least the Old Testament right. context. So if divorce should take place, then the partner who was given the divorce, not the one who initiated the divorce, but the one given the divorce, could uh, remarry, was right. free to remarry. Right. And again, if you notice both here and even in Jesus' passage in Matthew 19, it's talking about a man divorcing a woman. Right, right. Uh, predominantly because it was, that was the way. And also because, again, even in the Old Testament, the assumption is if a man wanted another wife, he could just take another wife. But if a woman wanted another husband, she could not right, unless right. she was given the certificate so uh, there was only polygamy, not polyandry. Polyandry, right, yeah. So that, again, that's why that was a, um, a, a protection, in a sense, for her, mm. that she be given that document. Because if he abandons, then, again, economically, it's not like, again, in a modern sense, we can always, a woman has more independence, and that's why we live a different world. But in that world, the economic dependence was tied to her, supporting the husband right, and his right, economic activity. Right, right. So in that case, she's left alone if she doesn't get a chance. Again, you know, one of the more other passages where in the, in the, in the siege of Jerusalem, hmm. one of the, the signs of how bad it would be is that a woman would grab a man and say, please be my husband at right, least for a right, while because right, right. The, she needed some kind of protection. She needed some sustenance because there was starvation. Yes. There was no security, yes. it was going to be that bad. Right. You know, that's how bad it was. Yeah. But underlying that was always the understanding that that was the responsibility of the men in those days is to get married and the fathers to get their daughters married right. and be under uh, the protection of a husband and provided yeah. for. Yeah. And, and I think especially among the pious Jews, uh, being married also had to do with the fulfilling of the first command in the scripture to multiply. Right, right. yes. And so we read about the um, residents of Masada right. uh, during the Roman invasion where they would, um, you know, um, uh, I think Herod built Masada, but uh, the Jews uh, took, took, took it over and they lived there. And so they would be married for five years, mm. just enough time to have children, yeah. and then separate uh, oh, because they would give themselves to the study of scripture. Oh, the Qumran so. community. Yeah, the Qumran yeah. community. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So they wanted to fulfill that right, that right, mandate even right. though they wanted to live a single life. Yes. But they got married and did the five years and then 
they would have gone. Right, In fact, right. I think that's why there's a good case to be made that Paul would have been married because he, he was trained under Gamaliel and they were all committed to everybody well, being married. Yeah, yeah. And But something may have happened to his wife. We don't know. But right. for whatever purposes, he was single. But he said he had the right to get yeah, married. Yeah. Uh, he actually says, don't I have the right to take my wife? To my wife, right. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, me and Barnabas in uh, yeah. 1 Corinthians 9. Right. Yeah. So there, I mean, there is there was that strong commitment to marriage, yeah. but it was also a time where um, divorce was also very easy, uh, especially first century. And I think uh, the um, Hillel and Shammai groups, right, you know, had right. different views on, on yeah, so that. Maybe we can take a look at uh, the Matthew passage unless you have well, more passages in the Old Well, there Testament. was one more thing I wanted to kind of look at was... Yeah. Um, God as a divorcee. Huh. Yes. You know yes. how the how God now talks about His relationship with Israel, right. and His relationship with Israel as a divorcee. Yeah. Now, Instant Brewer argues that another passage kind of gives an indication of the other grounds for the obligations for a marriage, which is from Exodus chapter twenty-one, yes. verses ten and eleven, and I'll just go ahead and read that. And it's the context here is about a man who takes a slave as a wife. And now if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Now, here, again, it's he's she's a wife, she's being sent out. It's the implication, he argues, of kind of a divorce. But she is free, and um, she she is not ha- she's even though she's a slave, and she has come to him by war. She is now free from any obligation to him, and uh, she has the rights now. So this, the argument as a case law <coughs> is that if this is applied to a slave who is a wife, this should be at least the bare minimum, even for any other wife, that she should be. Uh, not denied her food, her clothing, and her marital rights, her physical sustenance and emotional sustenance. That's his grounds. And so I think what was interesting, now now whether that's a strong case for grounds for divorce, I mean, that's something I'm still trying to think through. I think there are some interesting things here mm. uh, in terms of that these are things given to her. But it says here she's, she's going out for nothing, meaning without payment, meaning she's free from the bondage of slave, but she's still his wife. So I'm, I'm also assuming, therefore, she's also free, as no longer being uh, his wife and right. obligated as right. his as his wife. Now, what's other part yeah, of it is as, as a shave, she would uh, she as a slave girl, mm-hmm. she would be indebted, um, you know, in terms of money, right. right, to redeem herself, to redeem herself. But in this case, if he violates his marriage vows. In providing food, clothing, and uh, conjugal love, marital rights, right. um, then uh, he has failed, and she can be released, uh, released without a penalty. Penalty. So now that kind of becomes for him the kind of very central text to argue as the foundation for the grounds for divorce and other so, grounds, other grounds for divorce, right? So the other ones would be sexual immorality, uh, denial of sustenance and basic necessities and emotional uh, or denial of um, conjugal right, rights. Right. And, and uh, Wayne Grudem, um, and there are many others who have uh, already been arguing in that, uh, but I think in 2019, Wayne Grudem changed his mind from mm-hmm. uh, two grounds to three grounds. Okay. And he talks about how uh, the uh, phrase, and such things, right. um, in First uh, Corinthians 7.15, um, uh, implying at least uh, abuse, and okay. so uh, abuse is another ground for you know uh, separation or okay. divorce. Okay, so that's interesting. We could get to that one. Yeah. Maybe we can go straight to that one then, because anyway, since you brought it up, okay, <laughs> I'll come back to God as a divorcee. All right, uh, but I I think that passage is interesting. If we go back to First Corinthians seven, now what he argues there is that such cases, the the use of um, in such cases. So, right. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. 
in such cases, yeah. the brother or sister is not enslaved. So the argument is that in such cases or cases like these, so yeah. it's if he was specifically only talking about one such scenario, yeah. which is the unbelieving partner leaving the believer, let him separate, therefore that is a legitimate divorce. Right, right. If it's only that, he would have said, in this case. Yes. But he says, in such cases. Such so case. he, he's, yeah. in a sense, implying a kind of pattern right. for a broader understanding of what uh, what are the grounds for a divorce. Right. Though my only issue with that is the context is really about desertion. Right. So maybe this would be a, if anything, in such cases, in such cases of desertion, mm. I might be able to see that. I'm not so sure if I could see it be expanded to Include abuse? Abuse. Okay. Unless desertion is a kind of abuse, I would probably argue abuse is something else. Right. Still is a ground. Right. right. And the way I would look at abuse is if we go back to the to the marriage and the, the gospel, right. uh, being a story of the gospel, the, the story of the gospel is Christ giving his own body right. Right. for the sake of the church. Yeah. On the other hand, no, what we're having is a case of Either one, most likely the the husband, husband, husband yeah. hurting physically right. the body of his wife, yeah. it is the antithesis yes. of the gospel, right. and it is you know almost like an abomination of right. a sense right. that, in a sense, is so fundamentally contrary to the, the yeah. gospel yeah. that it could be enough grounds for it. Right. And I would say the other side of it is you know if a wife were to do that to a husband, mm. um, that is. That is a huge insult to 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 the the head of Christ, right. you know, to to do that to the husband. <laughs> yes. um, now, it's not to say that therefore there should not be opportunity for a reconciliation. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah. the conditions have to be very clear. The safety right. of the woman, and at the end of the day, the woman is to make the decision. Right. Does she feel that this person is safe and has stopped, willing to stop doing? Yeah, I think it? Brewer talks about the story um, of someone who had interviewed him, hmm. um, uh, actually he had shared this story apparently in his church where uh, the uh, wife was being, you know, uh, beaten and abused and she uh, pleaded with the elders uh, for suppression. Yeah. And uh, the church was not willing uh, to stand by her. And uh, one day he walks in with his gun and just shot her. Oh, and killed her. Why? Okay. Uh, you know, so uh, sometimes I think we need to be, you know, extra sensitive to that that situation. The churches need to be sensitive. Uh, uh, you know, uh, just going back to Grudem's article, he pre prefaces why he changed mm. his position from a two uh, ground to a three ground okay. uh, view. Uh, the two ground being, you know, adultery uh, one Matthew. Uh, Matthew 19 and uh, Deuteronomy 24 uh, and First uh, Corinthians 7, you know, where uh, sub, uh, desertion. Desertion, okay. Yeah. Uh, but the third, um, you know, he considered this mm. being motivated because of the number of abuses mm. that he was uh, beginning to realize there is in the church. Right. I think even Brewer talks about the same, same concern that drove him to that. Right. Although he himself... Had uh, you know no one in his immediate you know family or you know uh, he himself had not gone through anything like that. But what uh, motivated him was to look at the subject because of the number of abuses that are happening right. in the church and the church doesn't seem to do anything about it. Right. Again, if you go back to Brewer's three conditions, which is you know providing for. The, the material and emotional uh, the, support. The Exodus, uh, the Exodus passage, 21 yeah, verses right, 10 yeah, to 11 yeah. as the basis, those three grounds, then abuse will easily fit in as a kind of, right. you know, denial of conjugal love. Right, you know, right. abuse is the exact opposite yes, of that. Yes. So that would kind of easily fit in there. Mm. And But I was thinking, you know, even if you don't, even if you had some issues with that, right. I would think there are some of the theological ones, reasons, and I think my the reason I gave is one. Though... I think what he mentions there, the 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 vows, mm. you know, when we are getting married, we are yes. giving vows. Yes. And you know, if we go back to even uh, Ephesians five, the vow right. is to love. Yes. You know? And when we are breaking the vows, right. now the question is, does any small was every break of a vow constitute a ground? Uh, and I think one of the things is you go back to Jesus' 
statement about why divorce was given right because the hard heartedness right and when there is an unwillingness yeah to repent yes. and come back to those vows yeah then that becomes a difficulty then therefore divorce is a given and and i think i like one point given that divorce is is something that happens at the end because of sin sin has already caused right, many things right. to happen and the uh, hard heartedness uh, sometimes we have this idea that the jewish people were hard hearted generally ah, right. and we are not talking about the unrepentant sinner in right. that relationship right but i think uh, you know the, the uh, meaning of that word uh, it's a single word hard heartedness Uh, is talking about the unrepentant party in the marriage unrepentant party yeah uh, we are not talking about the general hard heartedness of the jewish people right but the unrepentant party and yeah. because the wrongdoer in the marriage especially in the case of adultery is not willing to repent and be restored biblically in his marriage relationship then the divorce is you know allowed allowed right yeah. and i think if i want to go back to god as divorcee yes you know if we take um god as the the husband you know he in a sense the analogy is given you know he marries israel at sinai right he brings his bride yes. across the threshold into palestine yeah. he provides her with food with yes. you know milk land flowing milk and honey yeah. uh, he loves her faithful but uh if you read the prophets Whether you read Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah three Jer- four. Right now three. in our church, we are reading through Jeremiah. It is just you know very moving uh, to see how God is not just a remote you know uh, deity, powerful being who just commands you know worship from His people, right? But but He is a hurting husband, <laughs> you know, deeply hurting, grieving over uh, the lack of. love and intimacy from his wife Israel. You know, I'd like to read this that portion yes. Jeremiah 3 verses 1 to 11. It's a little long but I think in that when we hear God's voice now we hear God as a divorcee in a yeah. sense what he and and what that pain means and therefore how divorce is the culmination of so much brokenness and sin. Right. Uh, I'll read from Jeremiah 3 verses 1 onwards. Yes. If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Would not that land be greatly polluted? In a sense quoting back to Deuteronomy 24, right, you right, know, you can't right. come yeah, back. Yeah, the language is very clear there. Very yeah. clear. Yeah. You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see, where have you been ravished? By the wayside you have been sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom therefore the showers have been withheld the spring rain has not come and you have the forehead of a whore you refuse to be ashamed have you not just now called to me my father you are the friend of my youth will he be angry forever will he be indignant to the end behold you have spoken but you have done all the evil that you could The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did that faithless one Israel how she went up on every high hill under every green tree and there played the whore and I thought after she has done all this she will return to me but she did not return and her treacherous sister Judah saw it she saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel I had sent her away with a decree of divorce yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear but she went and played the whore because she took her hordom lightly she polluted the land committing adultery with tree and stone and again the language is very very strong yes about what god has felt about what israel has done yeah to him how he had loved her and he had sent her away again the exile yeah. Yeah. is a kind of uh, is is the divorce yeah. of sending them away but we have you know a restoration yes so you know even in Ezekiel 16 the same thing is you know he he tells Israel oh that that passage is almost embarrassing to read together it is together hard, in hard in to read yeah. and you know it's one of those passages not embarrassing awkward yeah you don't you know your ki- you don't tell your kids to read that until they're much older <laughs> that and is, and Ezekiel yeah. 23 harsh language yeah. of what it is but uh, you know he god keeps his marital vows but Israel doesn't she doesn't right. return god's love commits adultery with idols yeah. presents idols with the food that God had given her yeah. decorates idols with the cloth and jewels that God had honored her 
And this is all from Ezekiel 16. So the the brokenness of the divorce, again, when we say divorce is sin, actually we're saying God is a sinner because God in a sense says I've divorced. So divorce has come at the end because of the sin. Right. So um, divorce is not as much a sin as the cause for divorce. Cause for divorce, right. Again, and if there's unbiblical grounds for divorce, that is the sin than the what leads to the divorce. Right, right. So um, that becomes the you know the 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 issue yeah. that many marriages are now dealing with yeah. is when you're coming to a point of divorce, the hard heartedness that right. is just kind of right. festering. But um, we might be going ahead of ourselves in in trying to cover um, uh, when I add this particularly, but. Um, you know, to come to that passage or those kind of prophetical passages, the view of God as a husband is that he is willing to do the unthinkable. Mm. You know, the uh, Deuteronomy 24 passage actually, uh, you know, it's the assumed background to his language. Will a man take his wife mm. who uh, has, you know, broken the covenant, will he take him? Right. No, absolutely no. And right. yet... What God is intending to say is, I will take you if you return. Mm. Uh, I think three or four times in Jeremiah 3 to 4, uh, he actually invites them to back, which mm. is almost an unthinkable thing. Right. You know, um, And so to appreciate, one, the grace of God in that, the covenantal love of God that he forgives uh, those who are within his covenantal family. I'm wondering whether... Isn't that a standard mm. to be emulated by all Christians? Right. That even when there is such breaking of um, marriage covenant, yeah. that uh, instead of hurrying into divorce, right. to wait patiently and lovingly uh, with the support of the church right. you know, and with good counsel, wait and pray earnestly for repentance right. <laughs> and uh, return. And I think if we talk about the marriage being a story of the gospel, yes. is not reconciliation also part of that? Right, right. And in a sense where now, he now, because of this, he still, he offers now a new covenant right, right. Uh, in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 37 because of this, yeah. that there is now, in order for this to happen, right. we need now a new covenant. So I, I think the, 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 the approach of divorce is... Is the is the last thing that happens, because the the grace has the grace and the love that should be pursued right. in reconciliation right. has failed at every instance, yes. and uh, the church has saw that it's failed. The individuals have seen right. it has failed, right. or the, and there's usually one or two people who are hard-hearted. Yeah, in yeah. That. and uh, more realistically, what happens is that the wrong, wrongdoer presumptuously take advantage mm. of that grace mm. in marriage. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because oh, you're supposed to bear with me <laughs> yeah. and put up with my, mm. you know, uh, ungodliness and, um, you know, my morality or whatever I do, mm. uh, my responsibility and all that because you're supposed to provide grace. And that uh-huh. really doesn't help. Right. In reality, you know, even as I've been thinking through um, these passages and reading in reality and uh, those who hear me please hear me with a little you know caution um, or with a little grace uh, towards me when I say this that is uh, in one sense in churches there has to be more divorces than there is mm. and, and what I mean by that is there are way too many people putting up with broken marriages when they ought to actually speak out and mm. get attention of the church. And maybe there need to be, if not more divorces, and I probably exaggerated that, yeah, yeah. but more yeah. church discipline, yeah. more confrontation. More confrontation. And more exposure, you know, e- exposing uh, the brokenness of their marriages so that they can he- get help. Right. And the wrongdoer is, you know, corrected and disciplined. Well, and I, I th- and I think maybe as I think about that, I think this is where, uh, the churches need to uh, find ways to <clears throat> tell the members that if they are going through pain, yes, there is a safe place to come to talk about these things right. and to do so early. 
Yes. Before yeah. these things are lead to the hard-heartedness. Absolutely. And that is kind of a a message because again, one of the things about marriage is and and I we speak especially in our Indian context, you can't know anybody's marriage by looking at it, yes. you know. <laughs> I was talking to um a friend of mine and he was not married at the time and he would always go around and say, you know, those people they have a great marriage and this mm. people. I said, how do you know? Yeah. I said you have no way of knowing. Yeah. You know, they may be smiling, they may be happy coming and, you know, talking very nicely yeah. in front of others, but you never know. Yeah. Uh two two experiences i have or two thing two situations i know is actually from uh, the western world you know mm. uh, there was a couple in our church nobody knew that the man was actually living in a relationship for 10 years wow okay right yeah. and then the wife found out and uh, confronted him but she was um, wise and godly she went to the pastor and uh, it, it took about a year of reconciliation process before they both were brought together mm. publicly to the church and he publicly repented and they were restored back wow. yeah. but the whole time no one knew no one knew for 9 years or 10 years he was living in this sin right and that one year of reconciliation process was going right it's an amazing story <laughs> and again marriage is you know by design a private affair yeah. designed for the intimacy of husband and wife but there are going to be times when they need support from the from the church right, right. in the struggles that they are going through yeah. and counsel and they f- need to feel because again one of the things is they can see others and say well nobody's having the problems i'm having right, if right. i feel if i talk about these things then you know i will look like as if i'm right. not as I, i think the biggest challenge at, in um, our part of the world is to get over this so called curse of you know our shame culture mm. that is mm-hmm. you know our honor and our identity is attached to what people think about us rather than uh, dealing with the reality of situation right and, and so we try to protect the perception of who we are from outside mm. rather than going to work in the inside <laughs> with the reality of inside the reality. yeah yeah thanks so much for listening to this episode of theology ki baat If you have any questions or have topics or issues you would like us to discuss, please email us at bath, B-A-A-T-H, at acaindia.org.